Isn't it great to worship because it gets your mind off of all the things that frustrate you and frustrate me, right? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if Amazon two-day shipping actually just took two days? <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if uh, you went to the drive-thru and they got the order right the first time? Wouldn't it be nice if uh, you went to your 10 o'clock appointment and that appointment began at 10 o'clock? Wouldn't it be nice if you asked your kids to do something and they actually did it right the very first time? Wouldn't it be really nice if Disneyland was just a little bit closer? Wouldn't it be nice? Let's pray. Father, it would be so nice if things just always went the way we want them to. And we didn't have to stress so much. We didn't have to struggle with patience so much. But Lord, as we begin this three-week series talking about some areas of our life where we've got to make some improvements, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, you would show us how important it is to have just a little extra helping of love and patience and prayer and encouragement to the people around us. Help us be people who are known for loving others, especially in a season, God, like we've been through recently. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That was fun. We don't always get to sing the Beach Boys, do we? Well, um, wouldn't it be nice if we all had ample patience? 
I don't know about you, but patience is something that I have struggled with for a very long time. In fact, when I was 18 years old, uh, I went with a good buddy of mine to the New Mexico State Fairgrounds. I got to go to a car show there. It was uh, a summertime car show. And uh, after several hours, I was getting bored and I was ready to leave. Here's the problem, though. The friend that I was with didn't want to leave, and he was the one who drove us. So I was kind of stuck. Well, I decided that I was going to give him an ultimatum. And so I said to him, I said, listen, if we don't leave in the next 15 minutes, I'm just going to walk home. Now, when you throw out a statement, an ultimatum like that, you kind of hope the other person takes the hint, helps a brother out, and says, well, okay, we'll go. That's not what happened. My friend just kind of looked at me and said, well, be careful. And I'm like, what? what? You just called my bluff like that? But, hey, I was 18 years old. I wanted to save my face, you know. I didn't want to be embarrassed in front of my friend. So I just replied, oh, I will. And then I waited around for 20 minutes or so to see if he would change his mind, which he didn't. And I decided it was time to go. Now, did I mention already that I was living with my mom still and she had an apartment in the far, far, far northeast heights. I mean, up by the foothills. I Googled it this week just to check it out. It's actually 17 miles uphill. <laughs> so after I realized my friend wasn't going to leave, and I had already said what I said, I was like, I got to go. So I took off, I began, and my first five miles, I was running pretty good. And I was thinking to myself, ha, 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 I showed him. Then the next five miles came. And I wasn't running, I was briskly walking at that point. And I was already thinking to myself, this was probably a bad, bad idea. <laughs> then the last seven miles. Well, <sighs> you ever seen an episode of The Walking Dead? <laughs> That's how I was walking at this point. I didn't even know it. My friend had already left and gotten home before I got home. <laughs> and so I walked in the house, I drank about a gallon of water, and then I skipped dinner, went to bed, and didn't wake up until the next day. I mean, I have problems with patience. And maybe you do too. In fact, I came across an interesting uh, article. It was a blog, and there was a psychologist, and he shared seven traits of an impatient person. We're actually going to walk over to the board here, and we're going to see how you do with the seven traits of an uh, impatient person. Let's see if you resonate uh, with any of these characteristics. Okay, you ready? Okay, here we go. Number one, you interrupt people before they finish talking. Anybody here do that? I mean, somebody's in the middle of a conversation and you just jump right in. If you do that and talk over someone, you might be an impatient person or an Italian. <laughs> Number two, you often feel wound up, stressed out, and ready to snap. If you're the type of person who walks around and you just... You bite your nails, you have like this nervous energy all the time, you're always tapping your foot. Well, it could be, maybe you're an impatient person. How about number three? You get frustrated when you have to wait in a line. Now, some of you, here's what you do. You get in a line and then you measure where you are in your line compared to other lines to see if you got in the right line or you should have gotten in the other lines. You know what I'm talking about at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Never fails. All right. How about number four? You make everything a crisis, even if it's really not. Every time there's a problem, every time something goes bad, man, you blow up and you say, that's just my life, and man, you are always, always, always upset. 
Maybe you struggle with being impatient. How about number five? When you buy something, you track the shipping until it arrives. Some of you guys, you purchase something and then you open up that little UPS or FedEx tracker and you watch it make its way all across the country until it gets to your house. And for some reason, it goes to Portland, Oregon. And you're like, it went to Portland! Right? I've never done that. How about number six? Getting behind somebody in the, uh, who is slow frustrates you. God wants to teach me patience, so no matter what grocery store I go in, there is a, a sweet elderly person with their cart in the middle of the aisle. Or there is somebody going slow in the left lane. The left lane is for passing, just so you know. That needs to be said more often in our culture, okay? How about number seven? You've gone off on someone, and you had to circle back to apologize. I mean, you, you, you got more and more frustrated, and then you just kind of blew up, and you went off on somebody, and then you felt terrible, and then you had to go eat humble pie and go back and apologize. That's a tough place to be. I don't know how you did on that. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not telling you. But I didn't do too good, to be honest. You see, uh, it is a very tough thing sometimes uh, to be patient, especially when we've been through the type of year we've been through, right? With a global pandemic. I mean, you turn on the news. Is there ever anything really good on the news? Not really. And we won't even talk about social media, right? I mean, <laughs> you do not go to social media if you want to be encouraged these days. And I think the problem is after a while it starts to build on us and we can get so discouraged, so overwhelmed that we begin to say things and do things that actually can do damage to other people, things that we regret saying and doing. Well, here's the good news. We're going to spend a few moments today looking at a passage of Scripture, and I believe if we will understand what Jesus is trying to tell us in this passage, maybe when it comes to patience and loving people well, we might actually get a little bit of traction, okay? Now, let me set the stage for you so you understand. We're going to be looking at Matthew 18. And in Matthew 18, Jesus has just uh, finished talking to the disciples, uh, verses 15 through 20, and he's talking about the importance of confronting somebody when they blow it. Jesus is not ignoring the fact that we have to deal with things when they happen. But he told the disciples that they had to confront someone when they made a mistake and hurt them or sinned against them. And then they need to go to that person... <laughs> They need to do what they can to work things out. He didn't say go hold a grudge against them. He didn't say go gossip about them behind their back. He didn't say just bury your emotions, suck it up, buttercup. He didn't say those things. He said, I want you to go to that person who's offended you, who's hurt you, who's sinned against you, and I want you to do everything you can to make things right. Makes sense, right? Well, in the very next verse, our friend Peter, the guy who always loves to show everybody how smart he is, Asked a follow-up question to Jesus. Here's what he said in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, back in the time when this story took place, there were a lot of Jewish rabbis who were teaching the Jewish people that if somebody sinned against them, they had to forgive them up to three times. But if a person who they had forgiven three times blew it one more time, they didn't have to forgive them after that. Because if they didn't learn their lesson three times, 
they weren't going to change. They weren't really sorry. It was kind of like a three strikes and you're out kind of rule. <laughs> so everybody knew the rule, and when Peter threw out the idea of seven times, that was kind of impressive, to be honest with you. I actually think Peter was trying to impress the other disciples, trying to impress Jesus a little bit. I even think when he asked the question, he paused for effect. He said, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? And then he lifted his eyebrow. Seven times? Because seven times, actually, that's pretty good when the rabbi said you only had to forgive three times. Well, poor Peter, he's going to learn and we're going to learn that God always sees things radically different from us. Okay, now here's what Jesus did. He answered Peter's question first with a statement and then with a story. Okay, so here's the statement. Verse 22, Jesus said this. It says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. <laughs> right? Poor Peter. You got to feel for the guy. He's thinking seven was pretty, uh, pretty remarkable. And then Jesus says, I actually, 70 times what you just said. It's actually 490 times. Why would Jesus give a number like 490 times? Well, let me just be honest. I don't think there's anything magical about the number 490. So if you're a Bible scholar and you're taking notes, when you get to 489, don't be like, ha-ha, right? That's not the point. I think the point is that Jesus was trying to, 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 to give the disciples a number that was impossible to keep track of. And here's why. I think we're scorekeepers. I think you and I have this habit of keeping track, keeping score. We may not even realize we do it. But we kind of keep these lists, don't we? So when your husband or your wife blows it, you kind of add it to the list, right? When your kids blow it again and do something stupid, break something, when they lie to you, Kind of add it to the list again. Maybe it's your boss, your employees, your friends. Maybe even it's, it could be God. When God doesn't do things the way that you think he should, you add it to the list, don't you? See, I think we all do that. We don't realize we do that, but I think we do that. Lucky for us, that's not what God does. Let me tell you why. Because God is not a scorekeeper of sins. I want you to get that. God's not a scorekeeper of sins of his kids. If you're a Christian, uh, he even gives a great promise in Hebrews chapter 13, or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 12. He says, I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. There's only one perf perfect person that I've ever known of who never blew it. And if anybody had the right to not forgive sins, it's Jesus, right? It's God the Father. Yet he doesn't hold grudges against us. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you're the type of person who keeps a list, if you're the type of person who's trying to keep score, I just want you to know, not only are you making life miserable for everybody else who's around you, you're making life miserable for yourself as well. I think that's why Jesus gave the disciples a number that was so big, so huge, that they probably weren't going to be able to remember what number people were on. Because here's the thing. If you love somebody, 
You're not going to keep a record of their sins. No, you're going to go to them. You're going to be honest about what happened. Then you're going to forgive them, and you're going to burn their list. Friends, you've got to burn that list because Jesus burned your list and he burned my list. And of anybody, he had the right to keep the list, didn't he? Well, so Jesus made the point with this statement, 70 times 7. Then he further makes his point with this story. So we're going to read this story real quick. Here's what Jesus said. He said, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought, uh, brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Man, things were brutal in ancient times. There was no bankruptcy court. There was no small business loan. There was nothing you could do if you, uh, do if you owed debt and you couldn't repay the debt. So they could actually take a person, turn them into a slave where they went to a work camp and worked until they had the debt paid off. Isn't that incredible? I'm so thankful that doesn't happen with us. And sometimes it took decades, maybe even a half of a lifetime, for somebody to pay off their debt and then to be reunited again with their family. Well, I want you to notice Jesus said this man owed 10,000 talents in the original language. He says, it says millions in our passage, but he literally owed 10,000 talents. One talent, one talent was worth 16 years of income. So I brought out uh, a bag of gold here because I wanted to, thank you very much. I wanted to give you the picture of what 10,000 talents would look like back in those days. Again, one talent, 16 years. This man owed 10,000 talents. He owed 160,000 years of income to the king. Imagine owing that kind of money. Imagine being in debt that much. And as bad as all that was, this man had an even greater problem. You see, if you owed such a massive amount of debt that you couldn't personally pay it back in your lifetime, it was actually legal to get your spouse and your kids and make them slaves as well to also help you pay back your debt. That's what happened to this man. His debt was so great, it wasn't enough to put him in jail, so the king actually decided he would put this man, his wife, and his kids in jail, and he has basically ruined their life. Can you even imagine being in a position like that? Man. Well, this man obviously was devastated. He responded to the king in total desperation. Here's what he said in verse 26. The man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it. The man was so desperate that he tried to bargain with the king. But he had no bargaining chip, did he? He owed 160000 Years of money to the king. A billion dollars in our current economy. Well, he was desperate, but the king wasn't a fool. The king knew exactly what situation this man was in. He knew that even with a thousand lifetimes, he couldn't pay back this enormous debt. And so the king did something in this story that nobody saw coming. Verse 27, then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him, and he forgave his debt. I mean, he forgave his debt. 
He released the man. He released his wife. He released his kids. <laughs> this is probably one of the most shocking stories that Jesus ever shared in the scriptures. Because, I mean, who would do that? Who would take a billion-dollar debt and just say, it's okay, I'm going to just release you from this debt? Who would do that? God would do that. God does it all the time, as a matter of fact. You see, in this story, Jesus is talking about the king. He's talking about his father. And he's talking about servants. And the servants, they're you and I. And when he's talking about a debt of forgiveness, he's talking about your debt and my debt, our sin debt that is so great, so huge, that we couldn't pay back a debt this size if we had a thousand lifetimes to try. You and I are hopeless, and we have no way of dealing with our sin debt apart from the mercy of the king. And he showed mercy. Here's what blows me away. Uh, for you and for me, God could have made us slaves for the rest of our lives because of our sins, but he gave us freedom. God could have separated us from our, our family and left us in spiritual jail, but he made us his family instead. Now think about that king and think about that servant and that situation. Imagine the gratefulness, the, the shock, the awe, the appreciation that this, this servant should have had. I mean, you would think that he would be blown away and for the rest of his life, he would be the most grateful person that you've ever seen, right? That's what I would think. Sadly, that's not what happened. Verse 28 says, but when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. Jesus added a little twist to the end of this story, didn't he? See, this man who had just been forgiven of this massive debt went right out, right after he'd been forgiven, and he went and he found uh, a fellow servant who owed him uh, a a hundred denarii, the text actually says. A denarii, well, that was a day's wages. This fellow servant owed him a hundred denarii. And so he wanted it, and, and he decided that uh, he was going to get it back. So this is what he choked the guy over. hundred denarii. You could pay a debt like this back. About three months. But you know what? The servant didn't care. He wanted his money right away. Verse 29, his fellow servant uh, fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he replied. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Can you believe that? Does this story make you upset like it makes me upset? Here's a servant who owed a king a billion dollars. The king forgave that billion dollars. He went out, finds a guy who owes him what is the equivalent, uh, equivalent of about 3,000 bucks in those days. Chokes the man, threatens him, and then has him thrown in prison until that measly little debt can be paid in full. It's hard to believe a person could act that way, but I believe that Jesus was making an exaggerated point with this story. And here's the point. 
when we've been forgiven for so, so, so much, how do we not go out and forgive others the little that they've done against us? It just doesn't make any sense, right? But the story doesn't end right there. Let's see what happens next. Verse 31, when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he'd pay back his entire debt. Then Jesus ends this story with an incredibly sobering statement. He says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse your brothers to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, is Jesus saying that God will unforgive us if we don't forgive other people? I don't believe that's the point he's making. But if anybody who understood what the cost would be to forgive sin, it was Jesus, wasn't it? The one who went to the cross, the one who suffered and bled. Because the price, guys, was paid. It just wasn't paid by you, and it wasn't paid by me. Here's what I've learned being a pastor for over 20 years. If people struggle with forgiveness... I believe it's for one of three reasons, okay? You might want to write these down. Three reasons why people struggle to forgive others. Reason number one is you don't know what God has done for you. You don't know what God's done for you. You walk around with this guilt and this shame because you are guilty. Because you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, cleanse you, and give you a fresh start and set you free. And because you haven't been forgiven, you struggle to forgive other people around you. And if that's you, if you're watching or you're here today, I want to encourage you. I'm going to give you a, a chance at the close of the service to make that decision and accept Christ. Maybe it's number two. You don't believe what God's done for you. Yeah, you know, this Christianity thing, you understand it, and you know that God forgives people, but not you. Oh, no. You're the exception to the rule. What you've done is too wicked. You've broken more promises than God can forgive. And so because you believe you're the exception to God's grace, you're angry and you don't forgive others because you yourself don't believe that you can be forgiven. Or maybe it's number three, and I think this is a lot of us. You don't remember what God's done for you. It's an interesting thing when you've been a Christian for a while. You get a little cynical. You start to think that maybe you're a better person than the people around you. You actually forget where you were and what you were like when you fell on your knees and you desperately asked for Jesus to wash you and cleanse you and forgive you. Do you remember what you were like? I find it interesting. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.26, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. You remember those moments? Do you remember your sin? Do you remember the things that God delivered you from and the love and the grace and the mercy that God showed you. Here's a little homework assignment for you. If, uh, if you don't remember, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a little bit of time this week when you're reading your Bible and praying, and I'm assuming you do those things as a Christian. I want to encourage you to spend a little time thinking back to your salvation. What was happening in your life at the time? 
What things did God do for you? How did he show up? How did he love you? And what kind of sin debt did God forgive you of then now? And what things are, what are the things today that God's forgiving you of? It's not just our past sin. He promises to forgive us of our present sin. And let me tell you why this is so critical. Because if there's ever been a season, if there's ever been a time when I think the world is in desperate need of love, I think it's right now, don't you? And the place where the world needs to see love the most is from Christians. I mean, we're supposed to be God's channel of love to the people around us. And if we're not dealing with our own impatience and our own unforgiveness right, we're not going to be able to love people the way that God wants them to be loved. And people are going through it. You just don't even know. The pain and the challenges and the trials of the people all around you all the time. You and I can be oblivious to the world that's hurting around us. The world needs Jesus. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was, I was driving on my way to work. As I was going up the road, it was a, a two-lane road, and all the cars in front of me were going slow because there was this one car holding all the traffic up. And the further I went, the more I started to grumble and say things like, what is your deal? I mean, come on. Some of us have a job to go to. We were going 10 miles an hour under the speed limit, and I was like losing my mind. And one by one, the cars in front of me started to turn to the right or the left, and I eventually got up to a light, and I caught up to the car, right? And you know what you do when somebody drives bad? You pull up next to them to see who the idiot is that's just made you crazy, right? That's what I did. I pulled up, and I'm like, now I get to see who the person is who just held up 10 minutes of traffic. So I glanced over to my right and uh, saw this girl, probably 15, 16 years old, pale as could be, scared to death, hands at 10 and 2 o'clock, next to an older gentleman, and just below her on the side of the door of the car said, student driver. I felt terrible. I remembered what it was like when I was a student driver, when I was so nervous, when I didn't want to lose points, when I had a guy sit next to me and I didn't want to make any mistakes, I didn't want to drive too fast, I didn't want to turn too quick. You remember what that's like? In that moment, I remembered exactly what that was like and my heart went out to this girl and, and here's what I said to myself. I said, if only I'd have seen the sign a little earlier, I would have been more patient with you. Then I got to thinking, I wonder what life would be like for you and me if we all had signs that showed what we're going through. If you had a sign on your car or at your house or in front of your office that said, I'm going through divorce. My child is rebelling. My wife has cancer. My depression's back. Can you imagine if we could all read each other's signs, do you think maybe we would treat each other just a little bit better? Maybe we would show just a little bit of the taste of this great forgiveness we've been given and forgive others a little bit quicker. Friends, may it be said of us that we are people who are slow to speak, slow to become angry, 
quick to forgive and unwilling to keep a list, right? Because after all, God's not keeping a list for you and he's not keeping a list for me. Let's pray. Father, I stand before uh, everyone here just admitting that this message is for me. I am uh, impatient. I am critical. <laughs> I make the people around me miserable sometimes, and I'm so sorry. I just pray this next week, all of us would take a little bit of a journey into how much we've done that you have forgiven. And I pray that it would be a catalyst, Lord. It would motivate us to be quick to forgive the people around us who have blown it. It's such a small thing we can do for others compared to the great thing that you've done for us. Lord, let us be people who give an extra helping of patience in the weeks, in the months, in the years ahead. And Father, if there's anyone here who is struggling with forgiveness simply because they have never come before you, and ask Jesus to be the, the forgiver, the friend, and the leader of their life. I pray they would make that decision today. They would not leave this place or they would not turn off their TV before they go and they make things right with you. <laughs> Lord, we want to walk in forgiveness. And you've paid for it with your son. We just have to reach out and accept what you've already done. Lord, we ask these things humbly, thankfully, in Jesus' name. Amen.